Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. Father, we're so thankful for your presence. Jesus, we're thankful for all that you've done for us. And I pray now that as we dive into your word, that we would continue to worship. I pray, Lord, that I would make much of Jesus. And that these words, if they're not of you, that they would just fall by the wayside. Lord, everything we do was to to praise your name and to lift you up. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are continuing on into Hebrews, and we are into a very difficult passage. Um, we're kind of at the end of five and into, into chapter six. Um, this was originally one message, and uh, for your mercy, I've divided it into two, so we won't be here for 17 hours, okay? But today, I mean, we got a two-parter, but today we're going to end up chapter five, which lays the foundation and is still part of the message that goes into chapter six, so we're finished with, with that next week. Uh, so I highly encourage you to be here for both as we tackle some pretty difficult and kind of hard to understand uh, passages in scripture. Today, we're looking at the end of five. Five kind of closes out the, the first part of the, the author of the book of Hebrews talking about Jesus as the high priest. If you were here last week, that's what we looked at. We looked at Jesus as our high priest. The author actually references Jesus as high priest multiple times as we continue to move forward. It's this point that the author is really trying to drive home, wants the readers to know that Jesus is the new high priest. He's trying to say, the writer's trying to say that Everything that you've learned in this old system of having a priest who made these sacrifices and everything, it's all summed up in Jesus and trying to pull the readers out of this temptation to go back to their old life. Right? They have this tendency, they have, they're, they're, they're Hebrews, so they've grown up in the uh, Old Testament sacrificial system, having the priests make the sacrifice for them. They, had, they knew that they had these sins, they knew they had these ways of life that didn't glorify or didn't honor God, that broke his law. And then the way they could make up for those shortcomings was, was by participating in the sacrificial system that was laid out in the Old Testament. They had a means of control of saving themselves. They could go to the priest and say, hey, we've messed up. The priest had these. And and so their shortcomings, their sin could be paid for by their actions. But now 
Jesus, the high priest, has made that ultimate sacrifice. Nothing they can do can earn their salvation. Nothing they can do can make up for their sins. Jesus has done it all. And they have this tendency to want to keep going back to the old way of life. So the author continues to push Do not go back to your old way of life. Do not backtrack. Do not slip away. Do not drift away. Do not go back to that sacrificial system. Put your eyes on Jesus. He is the way. He's pleading with these believers not to leave their faith, not to leave this trust that they've put in Christ, and to stop trying to earn their redemption through those animal sacrifices and other works. He's asking them to change their lifestyle And this action, this lifestyle has been such a part of their upbringing. It's who they are. It's something they've always done. And the author is saying, not anymore. Jesus is your new identity. You must fix your eyes on him. Now, for you and I, we're not tempted to go back to the old sacrificial system, right? We We didn't grow up having a high priest sacrifice a goat or a bull on our behalf. That's not our upbringing, but we do have a past. We do have a past where we've tried to earn our salvation or we've tried to be a certain type of person. We've had our own individual struggles where we, and that's been who we are. And for those of you who have placed your faith in Christ, you are a new creation. But if you're like me, the temptation to return to those old struggles is still a reality. My guess is there are things in your life that the Holy Spirit has convicted you of. Old habits or behaviors or goals, things that you have struggled with that you know are not the will of God for your life. Things that you have been set free from, yet you find yourself being drawn back into those things. You guys know a lot of my story. I talk about myself a lot when I'm up here because I'm a fallen person and I want you to know that, right? I don't, get, I don't have it all figured out. One of my struggles is people-pleasing. I want people to like me, all right? And you guys know this. I've told stories in the past. I had an example of this happen literally yesterday, okay? So, uh, you know, I don't have it figured out. But we're at, we're at a birthday party for my nephew, and there's lots of friends and family around, and lots of, there's some people I haven't seen in a while, And so I'm, you know, telling stories, talking, having a good time. I want them all to like me. And so I begin inserting myself into conversations, right? It's like, hey, I'm George, pay attention to me, right? That's where I'm at. Like, I'm telling, here where they're at, I kind of jump in. I put myself in those conversations and I'm I'm telling stories. I'm loud because it's a party, so there's lots of noises and I want people to pay attention to me and like me. And I'm, and I'm, it's fun. Like I'm having the time of my life because it's working, right? People are laughing. They're enjoying the stories. I'm, I'm checking all the boxes. This is a good time. And then the Holy Spirit is like, hey, buddy, what you, what you doing? <laughs> What's going on? Why are, you, why are you having all this attention on you? Have you asked anybody any questions? Have you seen where their life is at, what they have going on? And it was like this instant conviction, like, geez, here I am once again. Why am I dominating the conversation? Now, I'm convinced this will probably be a temptation for the rest of my life. This is going to be a struggle that's there, but I don't have to give in to that struggle, right? The Hebrews is pleading with me in this way. Jesus is the only approval that I need. He loves me. He likes me. 
And will I trust him or am I going to keep going back to the need of having others approve me? Or am I fine with the approval of my heavenly father? This is a struggle that is always there, but it's not one that I have to give in to. Your struggle might not be people-pleasing, okay? Maybe your struggle is a short fuse. You get angry really easily and not much. Maybe it's a, a dependence on a substance or a person. Maybe it's a need for achievement or status. You want, pe- you want people to see how successful you are. Maybe it's a, a lust for wealth. I just need to get to, to that tax bracket, that much money, and then I'll be good to go. The truth is we all have certain struggles. And as I tell you about mine, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of yours. As followers of Jesus, you are forgiven. That is ground zero. Jesus is your great high priest. But today, when we hear this cry from the book of Hebrews, it's asking us to go beyond just being forgiven. Today, we look at a passage that I want to summarize like this, and it's kind of wordy, so stay with me. All right, this passage is saying that we should not stand still in our faith. After we believe in Christ, we should be moving. We should be more spiritually mature and able to withstand more temptation and opposition the longer we have been with Christ. Let's read the passage, Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. We have a great deal to say about this. This is talking about the high priest stuff from last week. We have a great deal to say about this. And it is difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Wow, those are some powerful words. All right. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced in the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Again, the cry of this passage is that we should not stand still in our faith after we have believed in Christ. We should become spiritually mature and be able to withstand more temptation and opposition the longer we have been with Christ. Now, this is a message for believers, all right? So if you do not believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you actually have an out this morning, okay? You can just listen and as we believers have a conversation. You're allowed to, okay? I pray that the Holy Spirit still gives you something, but if you are not a believer, this doesn't really apply to you because this is a a writer to Christians who are stuck in the 101. They're stuck in the ground level. They're stuck on milk. And that milk is a a great message. It's a powerful message. It's, It's a place where you should camp out. It's a place that should bring you all kinds of joy and excitement and energy because that message is the simplicity that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You are forgiven. Your sins are atoned for. He died, he rose from the grave, and he ascended into heaven to atone for your sins, to give you victory over temptation, to intercede on your behalf with God the Father. That is Jesus. Jesus is the truth. He's the way. He's the one. Nobody gets to the Father except through him, and that is the ground level. And this is fantastic news. You are forgiven for whatever that struggle that that seems to overcome you. You are forgiven for whatever it is you seem to battle over and over again. You are forgiven for your past. It has no weight over you anymore when you are in Christ. 
But Hebrews is asking us not to just stay there, but to build on it, to continue to grow from there. I had the joy of taking algebra twice. <laughs> okay, now I know what you're thinking. He failed it the first time. Wrong. Okay, I did not fill out. I like math. All right, I work at a bank. So what happened was I was taking algebra in the eighth grade, and there was, I don't know if they still do this, but you were able to take algebra, a ninth grade level course in the eighth grade, and then you had this big test at the end of the year. If you passed the test, you got to take the next level in the ninth grade. So I took algebra, made an A, loved algebra. It makes sense in my head. I really enjoyed it. I took the test, and I did terrible. So when I got to ninth grade, guess what? I got to take the exact same algebra class, exact same textbook, exact same work all over again, right? I was in Math 101, and I didn't have to go to Math 102. I got to stay right where I was at, and I loved the experience, (laughs) It was so easy, right? I knew that I knew how to do everything. I knew the, the, how to solve the problems. I could have taught the class. So I got to chill, right? I never did the homework. I, I would do it, you know, in the Pitt Commons area before class started. All right? I would do it in the morning before. I never did it at home. It was not homework. It was pre-class work, okay? So that I was so easy. I coasted through the class. I made an A. It was great, But we all know that if that's how the education system worked, we would be in trouble, right? The point is to progress. And math is really like this. Math builds on it, right? You learn Algebra 1 so that you could take Algebra 2. And kind of you build, it's these building blocks. And you can't get to the next one if you haven't understood the first one. And that's kind of what's going on here. The the author of Hebrews is saying, you need to understand the basic one-on-one. That's good information. That's great information. That's the foundation. Everything builds off of Jesus as your Savior. You cannot get any further without that, but you should get further. The education, the, the, this math education that I was in is, is designed to, to kind of drive growth, right? The curriculum is designed to drive growth. They want me to grow in knowledge of math. Well, what Hebrews is saying, I want you to grow in your knowledge of Christ and your character and your spiritual life. They need to be rooted in the foundation that Jesus is Savior, that he is King of the world. Jesus is Lord, but you should build upon that and enter into holy living, It says that these believers, they understand grace, but they are not, as verse 13 puts it, acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. They understand the foundation, but they're not moving forward in righteousness. Spiritual milk is that foundation. It's the 101. It's the ground level, and it's good, but it should be built upon to move from milk to solid food. Hebrews 5.14 says that, but solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. It defines maturity for us. What does it mean to be a mature believer? Yes, you understand grace, but you also understand righteousness. You're able to tell the difference between good and evil. You're able to take the teachings from scripture. You're able to take take what it means to, to have holy living taught in the Bible through the Holy Spirit and Christian community. You're able to take that and apply it to your life right now. This is taking the word of God through the power of the spirit and applying it to your life. It's understanding that the grace of God should be doing so much more in your life than just saving you from hell. 
The author wants the readers to know their way around the entire message of the gospel. It's healing power. It's power to to set us free. It's power not just to be forgiven, but to grow in holiness. The author wants them to apply this message to their own lives, their communities, and the wider world around them. It's understanding how the different parts of God's revelation fit together, applying these to different situations, and having the power to transform those situations and transform our lives. And in order to illustrate that, This author leans on the same thing that the Bible has done. Paul uses it, Peter uses it, and now Hebrews uses it. This illustration of moving from milk to solid food. The the tagline for this series is is talking about a journey, right? And the reason that is is because that's what a walk with Christ is a journey. It's progressing. Now, the author uses milk to solid food. I want to use, and I might regret this, a situation once again from my own life, all right? If you've spent any time with a group of kids, you know that as kids are growing up, they experience all kinds of life change, right? They, as they're growing up, they, have, they develop new habits. They develop new ways of understanding the world. They have to progress as they get older. I have a three-year-old who has had the most um, developmental summer of her life. I don't know if I should say that. She's had an extremely developmental summer, okay? She turned three in May, and since then, we have ditched the passy, right? The passy was this thing that brought a soothing nature when she was upset. She would take the passy, and it would help calm her down. Now she has to learn how to self-regulate and how to calm herself down, not going great, but we're working on it, okay? So she's learning how to progress in that way. Uh, we took the guardrail off of her crib and turned it into a big girl bed. So she's had to learn what it means to, to have a bedtime routine and go to bed on her own and not have, not have the protection of this guard. She's done great with this. There are occasional nights where she gets up and comes in our room, and being the good parent I am, I put her in the bed next to me and let her sleep there, okay? (laughs) But she's figured it out, okay? She's growing and she's developing. We're really proud of it. Another big part of the summer is potty training, all right? Not great, all right? Potty training, is it's it's been easier with, with Avery than Addie Lee. I will say that. Avery... Almost instantly, I don't want to say instantly, Lauren worked with her while I was working diligently for several days, but she got the, I don't want to be too graphic, but she got the peeing part down, okay? <laughs> but when it came, comes to number two, it's like she's terrified. And Avery has always been regular, right? We're talking a diaper a day, maybe two when it comes to the, the number two movement. Now we're going days without a bowel movement. And as a parent, you worry, right? That's not how things work. We're all human, okay? That's not how things work. So we're worried. Do we need to give her some juice? Is she constipated? Do we need to take her to the doctor? But she's just scared to go number two. And so we're working with her, <laughs> working with her. She, she's figuring it out. And, but, but there's this point as parents, we're like, there have been accidents in her regular clothes, which are a lot more difficult to clean up than a diaper, right? I will say there have been articles of clothing that have been thrown away, all right? That crime scene was just too much. It was sacrificed, okay? We weren't going to deal with that, all right? It happens. So, so to get to the story, she is on day like three, not going, and so we are on poop watch, all right? This is, we become the all-seeing eye of Sauron, all right? We're looking around. We're making sure there's no playing in the corner, 
uh, no playing under the table, no playing in, no building forts, because these are all places where she goes to hide uh, because she knows we're watching. Okay, so the, those things are nicks. We're, we are watching her. So we're on day three or so. We know she needs to have a movement. We're on poop watch. We've got all these regulations. We're like, okay, keep an eye on her. I'm getting ready to cook dinner. And so I go in to to cut off some electronics. We're not going to watch TV. They're going to play with their toys or with the kinetic sand or something like that while I'm cooking dinner. Lauren is sick. So it's, you know, dad and the girls. <laughs> this, so I probably should have just let them watch TV. But anyways, I walk in there to get the girls and Avery's sitting on the couch and I notice this huge wet spot underneath her on the couch. Instantly frustrated. All right, instantly I'm like... Why did she have an accident? She's been doing so good. How did this happen? So I'm going, I'm getting her a change of clothes. I have to clean off the couch. So I stand her up. I'm going to change her clothes. And in all of this chaos, I forget that we were on poop watch. I hope this isn't too graphic. Okay, and so I sit her down beside the couch. I pull her shorts down. And something about the motion of pulling the shorts down, not remembering that she hasn't pooped in several days, I gave flight to the substance in the pants. <laughs> a huge mess on the floor. And now I'm, I'm like, how did I, how was I so dumb? How did I get here, right? And so I have to, and now I'm juggling cleaning up the mess on the rug, cleaning up the mess on her, cleaning up the mess on the couch, and I still haven't started cooking dinner, okay? It was a nightmare. Now, I will say, I will say, this was the last time that she pooped in her pants. So she's doing great. All right. And we celebrate big every time she goes. You guys, we were here on Wednesday night. She went to the bathroom. You guys that were here celebrated big. Okay. You're a part of this and I appreciate it, but she's doing great and she's developing. The, the point I'm trying to make, let me get to the point here. <laughs> let me bring it home. The author of Hebrews gives this great moving word about how Jesus is our high priest. And then out of nowhere, like getting into a cold shower, shocks the reader with this rebuke of solid food. And I tell this story because I think sometimes we can get that, that rebuke can be softened. And as a pastor, I don't want to soften it. The author is talking to these readers, and he's saying that they are at a time and a place in their day where their life has had no improvement. They've heard this foundation, but they're still acting like babies. I want us to catch the shock and the weight of this rebuke. Too many Christians go to church once a month to remind themselves that they are saved by grace, but they're still wetting the bed in every area of their life because they have not learned how to distinguish good from evil. They haven't taken the teachings that come from scripture and, the, and being a part of the body of believers and applied it to their life. Jesus is this miracle pill that helps them feel good because they know they're forgiven and they lean on that grace, but they do not have any change in their life. The author is saying, as a believer, it's great that you are saved. That is foundational. We celebrate that every Sunday, but we must build upon that. Your life must be changed. There must be evidence of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit in your life. As you're faced with the questions of good and evil each and every day, how are you responding? 
When it's time to make tough decisions, how do you navigate those? When it's time to resist temptation, where does your mind go? When, it's, when you reach those crisis, what do I do now moments, what do you do? The only way to face those situations as a mature Christian is if you are able to use biblical discernment, wisdom that only comes when you have marinated on the word of God. You have let it soak into every area of your life. It becomes this lens by which we navigate the world. This growth starts with Christian disciplines. It doesn't start with the problem. What happens most of the time in our day, what I see happen is people face a problem and then they're like, oh man, I need to go to the Bible. Or they face a hardship and like, oh, I need to go to prayer. They face a difficulty and then they go to what they learned in Sunday school or they go to church. But the way that it's supposed to work is you are marinated in the word of God. You are practicing the disciplines. You're a part of a, of a Bible-believing community. You're, in the, you're reading and studying the word. You're praying, you're fasting. And this is a regular part of your life. Then when you hit the problem, you've already got this arsenal that you face that problem with. It becomes your discernment. It becomes the way you face that issue. It has to start there, not with the problem. So when you look at your life, if you take an honest, hard look, what is your goal? Are you seeking to be comfortable? Are you just trying to to, to ease all the situations and, and find that one comfortable spot? Are you seeking success or wealth or entertainment, and whatever it is, what is your goal? Is your life showing the evidence that there's been real change? If not, I'm not saying you don't believe. I'm just saying you might be time to mature. It might be time to take steps in deepening your faith and understanding the difference between good and evil. There are things in our life, this is, this is difficult to do. There are things in our life that are complicated situations. We live in complicated times and and complicated questions. And there are things that even Christians can't agree on, like uh, women in church leadership, theology of salvation, when and where you should speak in tongues, what kind of songs you should sing in church. I've even seen committees and arguments over what color the carpet should be. All right, there are things that Christians can't seem to get along about. There are things in our life that the Bible doesn't comment on, right? Whether you should take this job or that job, whether you should live in this city or that one. Did the big bang happen or not? Should I let my kids watch Cocoa Melon or not, okay? The Bible says nothing about Cocoa Melon, all right? Now, the thing is, with all of this confusion, all these things that we can't agree on, all these things that aren't mentioned in Scripture, as believers... We are still called to act as Jesus would in each of those scenarios. That requires real diligence, real wisdom, real study and focus, and real community. I want to emphasize community. You should never be learning and studying scripture on your own. Yes, there should be times where you're doing it alone, but it should always be a part of community. The Bible was originally heard. People wrote these letters to people who did not know how to read. The letters were read to them. They, they listened to the Bible. If you're in a place where you don't think you can read the Bible, there's a hundred different ways to listen to it. Put your headphones in and listen to it. That's the way it was originally consumed anyway. It should all be done in a part of a community. And this is very difficult to do. Verse 11 says that the Christians of this day have become too lazy to understand. 
This is a challenge to each of us to take that look that I was talking about and ask ourselves, is this really too much to tackle right now or am I just afraid to put in the effort? Listen, there are legitimate times when you are new to something or you need genuine rest and recovery that you should not try to tackle a new concept or a tough challenge. You should never make big decisions when you're at a really high point or a really low point. There are times where you need to take a step back and there's times where it's okay to say, I'm not ready to tackle this right now. But there are other times where we just make excuses to justify our laziness. There's an old movie called Facing the Giants. It's one of those Christian movies that was really good for its message, but not really good for its acting. Right? And so, but there's a point in that movie where, and I'm just kind of, go, I didn't rewatch the clip, so I'm kind of going off a of memory. But there's a young man and the coach has him bear crawl on the field. You may have seen the clip. It was really popular like 10 years ago. And he's asking him to, to bear crawl on the field. The young man's able to do it like 30 yards and then he gets tired and gives up. So then the coach like blindfolds him and takes another player and puts it on his back. It says, do it again. And as he's crawling, the coach is yelling and encouraging him, pushing him, trying to get him to go further, just telling him he can do it, pushing him along. And then when it's all, the scene is over, they take the blindfold off and the young man has actually done the entire length of the field. He more than doubled what he did the first time. And it was this message of saying, when you take away the excuses, you take away the vision of thinking you can't do it and you apply yourself, real change can happen. That's what this author is getting at. N.T. Wright says it beautifully. He says that it's one thing for people who are genuinely young in faith or genuinely tired out and need a good rest to say, let's keep it simple and easy. It's quite another thing for people who have been Christians for some time and show every other sign of being capable of learning and growing in faith to say or imply we are too lazy to do that. He continues on kind of uh, playing the, the kind concept of false humility of saying, I'm, good, I'm not good at understanding these things when we really mean I can't be bothered to try. He says, holding back from such learning, even based on that false humility, is a way of saying that we want to remain spiritually babies. My last illustration, my last story, okay, stay with me. I have experience with this. I had to take a class in college called Systematic Theology. It was as hard as it sounds, okay? And the teacher was one of the most difficult teachers we had. It was a very hard class, and I was very frustrated, all right? When I was in high school, I had, I'm dyslexic, so I had an IEP. I'm not good at taking tests. I've already kind of talked about that, all right? I, I just, I was not great, all right? So I had all these, I had things that I could lean on that helped me throughout high school, but I had learned to kind of cope and do without that. So I chose not to carry my IEP to college. I got to this class and I regretted my decision. <laughs> I was like, I need more time. I, this is not fair. I saw my friends, my peers who were all able to understand and wrap their mind around these concepts and I wasn't getting it. I would have to study twice as long and I didn't want to do that. I was just fed up and done. It was two semesters long. At the end of each one, we had to write a paper. I, my paper was not good the first semester. It was awful. I got all kinds of, it was torn to shreds. Okay, we're just going to say that. All kinds of remarks on it. And I, it was one of my core level, like have to have a good grade classes for my majors. And I almost didn't get a grade high enough for the first semester. And I kind of got to this point where I was like, I can't do it. I'm not able. I had all of these excuses floating around in my head through conversations with friends. And I had this really awesome girlfriend at the time who kind of helped me talk about, 
Okay, she's my wife now. Okay, but there's conversations, and I realized it wasn't that I couldn't do it. It's that I had to try harder than my friends, and that was keeping me from trying. And so through those hard conversations, I realized that I was being lazy. I needed to apply myself, and that's what I did. Second semester, I took the extra time. I did the reading. I asked the questions, even if I thought they were stupid questions. I didn't let what I thought other people were going to think about my questions keep me from asking those questions. And what I learned was, not only could I wrap my mind around it, I loved it. All right. It shaped my calling and my future, how I was going from there. I loved the class. I loved the content. My second paper, I'll never forget the remarks. It was uh, to sum it up for you. She said, this is a great paper. You articulated the content really well. I can hear it's very pastoral. I can hear you preaching this subject. Like I pinned the paper to a uh, um, corkboard because I was like, this, I mean, it defines so much of my, my path forward. It became a part of my calling. And I realized that I love to study scripture and to break it down and make it much more simple. I love to read academic type things. I have a book like this big from N.T. Wright that I'm trying to work through right now, right? And I love to take that content and simplify it and then teach it. That's just part of the way I'm wired. I would have not known any of that if I would have not been willing to do the hard work and persevere in this class. And that's the challenge here. There are some things in scripture that are plain and easy, but there are other things that only come after a lifetime of study and meditation, The gospel really is simple. Believe in Christ and be saved. It's all on Christ. But true faith should not stop there. It must build upon it into a life of maturity. If you remember many weeks ago, I was talking on how we can love our neighbor by through conversations and asking questions and being interested in them. I started off that message talking about my tendency to people please. And it was a story from high school about to go to college and I got called out by a stranger for talking too much. I don't know if you remember. I don't require that you remember every message, okay? But in that that started off with this This was in high school, almost 15 years ago, okay? And there was this moment in my life that began a long journey, 15 years long, right? Where the Holy Spirit convicted me of people-pleasing, teaching me that I don't have to have everybody like me. I don't have to always be the one talking. I don't have to always be the one telling the funny stories. I don't have to always be the one in the center of attention. That, in fact, I can serve people better by asking questions and seeing how their life is going and being invested in them. And so that was 15 years ago, and I failed the test miserably, all right? All I did was talk. Fast forward to yesterday. I felt that tapping from the Holy Spirit asking me, what are you doing? So I took a step back. I realized that I was facing one of my struggles. I was going back to my default, and I began asking questions. And I was really encouraged. I was in the car on the ride home, and I said, hey, Lauren, did you notice that I was like loud front of everybody. She's like, no, I didn't even notice. And I was like, praise the Lord. All right. I don't have it figured out, but there's growth. And that's the point. As a believer, the foundation is you have, sal- you have salvation in Christ alone, but we build upon that foundation. So when you look at your life, how, do you see life change? Do you see growth? Do you see fruit from your pursuit of Christ? If the answer is no, then the challenge for you this morning is how can you go deeper? 
How can you mature in your faith? That's the cry of this passage. And then we'll get into next week about what it means when you mature in your faith and then you drift away. But let's pray for now and we'll, we'll continue then. Heavenly Father,